Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. Today's guest, one of the premier event coordinators as well as high school evaluators not just in the country but across the world because he uses the term pangos which we talked about over the summer when he joined us none other than dinos tragonis dinos thanks for joining hopefully you've got a little bit of a break after such a busy summer with events you ran thank you very much appreciate the intro and i know uh, i've come a long way since i would watched you as a as a high school prospect at the Nike All-American camp at Indy, but uh, I'm not sure I'm worldwide West quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to start somewhere. That's uh, that's always the case for everybody. And when you look at the events that you put on, um, you know, you do a tremendous job of finding uh, great high school talent to be a part of your events. You do a great job of finding the right coaches and evaluators to be a part of your event. What do you find? What do you get the most satisfaction about your events, or the, have the most pride in? Well, the variation of it. You know, everyone serves a a, a different purpose, or uh, the same type. The different types of events serve different purposes. Uh, right now, we're kind of um, uh, getting into the freshman, sophomore swing of things, so to speak. Uh, we got two down, two to go. We were at the uh, West Coast version in late September, where we just got back from Dallas for the Southern version, which was very good. And we're off to Chicago in about a week and a half and uh, New Jersey, Philadelphia for the East Coast thereafter. And uh, fall is, typically is a good time to focus on the up and coming underclass uh, groups of players. Um, I think the uh, Juniors are pretty much well known. The seniors are they're starting to um, finalize their decisions for those on the top of the totem pole. There are still unsigned seniors and sleeper seniors that are below the radar to some degree. And there is always a need to kind of see uh, those kids. But but fall, for the most part, uh, I've kind of, kind of got to, used to using it as who are the next bunch of kids that are coming up and, and these freshman sophomore camps uh, do a good job helping us uh, get a starting point for a lot of them. So that's the one thing uh, um, that I focus on. And it also too, in the, in the, uh, the uh, senior kids or seniors to be uh, the ones that are coming on April to July. Um, that's a good time to kind of see where they're at going into their final stretch of their high school career. And, uh, you know, one year makes a big difference. One month makes a big difference. You know, one week makes a big difference. And a lot of these kids development wise, confidence wise, 
And um, I get the satisfaction of seeing guys come up through the ranks and, and um, um, see them mature, even from middle school to high school. You know, I just got back from Dallas. Uh, I don't know if you know Josh Greer, who played in the WCC. I think a little bit before you at St. Mm -hmm. Mary's, who's from Orange County. He's got a son in Austin, Texas at Lake Travis High School. Uh, they moved out to Austin from Newport Beach a couple of years ago, a job relocation. And his son's a terrific player, about 6'5 now, athletic, skilled, confident. Uh, Ronnie Flores had him number two in the camp as a freshman. And uh, his, his dad kind of posted some video of him in my middle school camp in 2019. Just the 19, we're still in 21. Mm -hmm. And the dates at 19 and the difference, you know, a year makes a month makes is, is, is it's kind of remarkable following these guys progress. Even a guy, even a guy like Jalen Green, who was MVP. I saw him first at my youth camp in middle school, middle school, all American camp as an eighth grader for the first time. And to see him now be a number two pick and, and doing very well with the Rockets in the NBA. You know, you provide a lot of opportunities for kids to be to be evaluated and seen by scouts as well as, as college coaches and give them a chance to live out their dreams at the college level. And if they're good enough, so be it. They'll make the, the professional level at some point. But when you're putting together these events in different pockets of the country, I'm always curious, is there true definite styles and differences in each of those four pockets that you talked about? Southern California, Texas, uh, New Jersey for the East Coast, and then the Chicago, the Midwest. Is there definite differences? Yeah, there are differences, and but there are a lot of similarities. It's kind of a almost like a reflection of America, where you go to Texas, and you know maybe they're a little bit more into barbecue than we are here in the West Coast. Although I know there's a lot of West Coast people like barbecue too, but you don't have the prevalence of that cuisine as much as you do out there in Texas in Kansas city uh, or even in the East coast where it's a little bit more different flavor. But yeah, but it seems like the, the West coast kids are more finesse. They're more skill oriented, even though skill is important everywhere. Um, the Southern kids tend to be a little more athletic, a little more aggressive. I'm not sure whether the football element has something to do with that. Uh, the Midwest there's a little bit more of a blue collar industrial element to that. So that affects, you know, how they play toughness, um, strength wise, uh, um, physical wise. When you look at the, at the Big Ten and the style that the Big Ten likes to play. And in the East Coast, it's kind of a, a combination of individualism, one on one. Um, off the dribble, uh, push the ball uh, type of good game. But the, you know, the shooters tend to see, you see shooters in the, in the heartland, you see shooters in the West. But, but the, you know, some of these differences are kind of morphed into, because you see a lot of similarities. Because shooting is important no matter what part of the country you're in. You know, playing the right way, playing with basketball IQ is important no matter where you are. And even though the regions change and, and the regions have different territorial, uh, political, social, cultural norms, 
of var or variations. The fundamentals of the basketball never change, as Dave Miller once said. So it's kind of a blend of, of both worlds. But there, there are sometimes differences, but more so mentality, culture-wise. And, you know, you, you tend to see a different accent when you speaking-wise from the south to the east to the west, Midwest. And it's kind of a good way. Uh, it's interesting for, from a sociological standpoint for somebody like me to kind of experience that because it gives me a much wider perspective as compared to if I had to stay in one part of the country. With running those camps and, and clinics throughout different pockets of the country, I'm always interested and curious because I've had a number of parents uh, that have asked about not just your event, but other event operators. Well, I don't want them to go to this one because maybe they heard of a bad experience where, you know, one kid dominated the ball at an event. How do you as an event operator work against that negative perception? Because um, the fact is each kid is there to put themselves in a the best light. Uh, to be seen and to be evaluated properly. But do you have a message that you try to share with each of the kids coming through your events to make it the best for them as well as each other camper? Yeah, well, we, we try to emphasize, um, you know, good basketball, besides myself, Van Coleman, who comes to a lot of these camps, if not most of them, uh, tends to emphasize that on what he's looking for as far as winning basketball and how uh, it impacts uh, the game. I just got um, some correspondence from a parent that was questioning the, the scouting at the last camp. We had basically two guys that are right at 100, 100 years combined experience in scouting. And when you add Ronnie Flores, you're at 120, 130 years. And he says, there's no way these guys can't be right. These, you know, my son scored 14 points, 12, you know, 16 points. 15 points, the other kid that made the all-star game scored eight points, six points. And for him, he didn't understand that, number one, these guys from outside the area don't have a dog in the fight. There's no political or inherent um, bias toward anybody because they don't know anybody. They don't know anybody. There's no reason to, for them to prefer one over the over the other, non-basketball-wise. Second of all, I think the parent, and you, you see that now with the NBA, more and more non-basketball guys are in NBA front offices making decisions. Instead of getting somebody like yourself that's played the game that knows what it is beyond the numbers, to be in a competitive environment, to be coached by somebody like Mark Few, who's a great basketball mind, to have that experience. And there's nothing wrong with blending the numbers within there, but you have to have some type of heat of the battle experience to properly view those numbers in the right perspective. And they're, they're looking at the numbers, but that's not what scouts go on. If, if, if scouts were going purely on numbers, there's guys that were in the lottery that averaged single digits in college and guys that averaged 25 points in college that didn't get drafted. If it was purely just numbers and they don't understand that when people look at things, it's not just what they did is how they did it. And, and how does that skill level feel um, 
basketball presence, how does it translate? Using their past scouting experiences and past examples of those that haven't, that didn't make it and did make it. So all that comes together, it's not an exact science, but I think sometimes people try to put too much of an empirical thing, uh, analysis on it. As you know, basketball very often is not just empirical or analytical. There's other things we can't accurately gauge, but we know it when we see it. We know somebody, you know, know, somebody's tough or somebody, you know, you know, the guy PJ Tucker for the Bucks. He well, he didn't put up Giannis's numbers. He didn't put up um, uh, Middleton's numbers. Him and Bobby Portis, how important they were to that team. The toughness, the aggressiveness, them complimentary, complimenting the stars. Maybe another guy on another team who was averaging 20 points a game, if you were to substitute the 20-point score for them, the result may not be the same. So there's other factors involved that the non-basketball people don't understand because if you, if you haven't experienced it, as a player and or coach, you don't really have the feel what it's like to be in battle. I call to be in battle, to be in the heart of the competition. There's nothing wrong with being a fan, but too often now with social media, everybody's got a podium or a platform to be an expert. No, you're right. Whether whether they're um, qualified or not. And somebody just raised a, a tweet, a guy from Texas, Scott from Texas. He said, who do you trust? How do you know you can trust what you see? He had two questions. And how do you know you can trust what others see? And I told him, well, you you can trust what you see if you have the experience and knowledge to know what you're watching. You can trust what you see. If you don't have the experience and knowledge, I know nothing nothing about marine biology. If If I'm in the boat, Somewhere in the Pacific, I have no idea what I'm watching compared to somebody who's who's trained, who has a degree, who has the experience. And also, too, as far as others goes, if the other person has the experience and the knowledge, then you trust him. If he doesn't have the experience, the knowledge, or trained in the standards of that practice, then don't trust him. Yeah, you're you're exactly right, and I, I like the analogy of you as a marine biologist. That's something I never would have thought of. But I I've, I always try to look at the games when I prepare for my college broadcast TV work um, in a way that Chad Buchanan, who was with the Portland Trailblazers, and I worked with him for a year. He always said eyes, ears, and numbers. What are you seeing with your eyes? What are you hearing with your ears from different people who are around it and know it? And also, what numbers are you reading? Put those all three together, and that's how you create an opinion or, or an evaluation. And they work together. They don't work by itself or alone. Yes. So that kind of leads me to the next question I have is uh, the politicalness of the McDonald's All-American game. It's the granddaddy of all high school all-star games. How much political jockeying is there behind the scenes to have scouts or evaluators get – their quote guys to that of that event because that's the one that's been known for years that every high school kid dreams of playing in. Well, we have a potential problem now. The game has been going in a negative direction for a while. Uh, number one, obviously, the um, I remember being at the 2000 game 
one of my former players, Trayvon Bryant, who was for, been in the NBA as an assistant last couple of years, played in Missouri, was a McDonald's All-American, played overseas for about 20 years. And I remember being there and seeing John Wooden still alive, reciting all his famous phrases and, and cliches and sayings and all that. You had Morgan Wooden there presiding like the you know, Hall of Famer that he, he was or is, uh, God rest his soul. Uh, it's lost its luster because what it's done is it's allowed ESPN to affect the game because it's very obvious they want the game selections to mirror their rankings as a means to reflect their, the accuracy and the perceived accuracy or integrity of their rankings. Interesting. So, so, so if there's a kid that's not high at ESPN that makes the game, because you, you, people don't realize that there's a couple of things that work here that are problematic. Number one, there's no for transparency of knowing who exactly gets the votes. There's guys that vote on the team on the McDonald's committee. They know who they voted for, but they have no independent way to know, number one, who else, you know, if their votes were counted accurately or who voted for whom. And there's no independent objective, maybe additional filter there to verify that the votes presented are actually the votes being counted. Now you also have had for a long time a supplemental way of adding guys to the team, which was controlled by the Wooden family and now by the heirs of Morgan Wooden, his son and his son's wife. They have discretionary picks. It, it was my understanding those were used to balance out the team. Say they needed another big guy. One team was short a big. They'd add somebody there. One team was short a guard. Or maybe they're playing in Seattle that year and they have no local kids. And they, have, they want to maybe add one who's close enough to be good enough for the game and things of that nature. And I think it's kind of morphed into a scenario where you look at Oneko Kongu, who was a major snub, who's now with the Hawks. Tyler Dorsey had as bad as, as fantastic a high school career in, in Southern California as most people the last 10 to 15 years. That was a disgrace that he was not on that team. Several people told me they had voted for him on that team, but he wasn't on there because he was a little bit lower on ESPN than he was on some of the other major national rankings. And now it's even gone farther now where a Joe Wooten has started doing camps uh, to, to supplement his other local camps there in D.C. He just had one in Texas last week, and now they're adding AU coaches to the vote. Think about that. They're adding AU coaches from shoe companies who primarily watch mostly their own shoe company teams on an McDonald's. Now, here's the deal. The politicalness is not foreign to AU basketball, as you know. But like, as you indicated or alluded to, the McDonald's game has been perceived for many years by the public to be above the fray, to be America's game to be beyond the politics and the things they failed to do, they failed to create and maintain a voting committee that was fairly reflective 
of the country, whether it's ge geography-wise, whether it's race, ethnicity-wise, and they're trying to correct that now, but they're correcting it in a wrong way because high school coaches and AAU coaches shouldn't be on this committee if you want to portray it as America's game. If it's something else, that's fine. The people that have, if McDonald's wants it to be somebody else, or the people that control the game, the Wooten family want it to be something else. That's their prerogative if they control the game. But don't mislead the public into thinking this is America's game. Call it the Wooten game. Or if you're going to add multiple Adidas teams, call it the Adidas game. Because obviously there's a lot of conflicts of interest here because Wooten's high school team is sponsored by Adidas. And they sponsor the game. But they've kind of been left in the cold because, unfortunately for them, most of the top players are migrating to the Nike YBL, and that's reflected in the McDonald's game. And they're trying to counter that, but to do it in a kind of a flagrantly biased way is not healthy for the image of this game or McDonald's if they want to maintain or, or portray it as America's game, if you know what I mean. If it's not, that's fine. Yeah. When I have my when I have my camp, Dan, I control the selections. I get input from a lot of people, but I, I don't hide the fact that the, the discretion lies with me. I don't I don't mislead people into that fact. I have the discretion. I'm paying for the game. I raise the money. I decide. I don't mislead. That's the difference. If it's something different than America's game, then let the people know. So, the, 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 like you said, these kids who aspire to it aren't misled and heartbroken when they yeah. don't get a fair shot. Well, that's really interesting because, you know, I'm pretty well connected in basketball circles at a number of different levels. Um, but I had no idea just the depths of some of the steps in selection process and the influences that go on. But last question that I want to get to, and it's probably the most important question. Well, Dan, um, let, me that I want to real quick. let me go back to this real quick so yeah. I can add something. And because of, of that fact, it's not just myself, but other people that have been very disappointed on how McDonald's and the people running it have conducted themselves the last five to 10 years. I don't know if you remember this past March, what happened. I inspired Spalding to create an all-American team of its own. It was it was kind of like the old parade all-American teams. Okay, It wasn't a game or an event. It was just a way of honoring. And I put together about a 20-plus member committee of veteran scouts from all over the country. Of the 22 scouts, there were 10 or 12 scouts of color. We had the, the first female scout ever on a major a voting committee, Kristen Peake, who works for Rivals and Yahoo Sports. The first Latino-American, Ronnie Flores, to be on a major voting committee of that nature, who should have been on the McDonald's committee a long time ago before any AAU coach uh, sh should be considered. The amount of work that he does with, as you know, with the Fab 50 rankings and the level of work and seriousness and thought that he puts into it. You know, that alone is deserving. Plus, you're killing two birds with one stone, a much sorely needed West Coast voice and a much sorely demographic voice you've never had. All that got reflected on the Spalding All-American team.
and we had a great response to it because it's not that it was perfect because all these guys are coming from different they have their own preferences and likes or whatever but we had a a, a committee that looked like america it looked fair not that it's perfect but it looks fair that's what mcdonald's needs to do not go ahead and solve problems by trying to curry favor with shoe companies or or extract more concessions from what from the people they're involved in. They need to construct something that's fair, that has transparency, that and take care of the media people and the scouts for many years. Another bone of contention. There are guys on that committee for 20, 30 years. They don't get a plane ticket to the game. They don't get a room to the game, Dan. They don't even get a good seat at the game. Many of those guys stopped going to the game, even though they were on the committee, because they treated them like crap with them, with, with few minor exceptions. Maybe a Tom Konchalski, who's now passed away, as you know. Maybe a, um, what's my guy's name from Philadelphia? Um, drawing a blank. Long time guy, good guy. Two or three guys they really took care of. Here's these guys that are on this committee. You have a billion dollar corporation like McDonald's behind it. They spend all this money. These people help them select these players and you can't even give them a good seat at the game. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not good. Yeah. I can hear the passion in your voice of wanting to, to uh, have things done uh, in, in a open light. And you and I had chatted a little bit over the end of the summer about uh, the NCAA live periods. Uh, this was my first uh, experience with it as a parent and as also as a coach uh, in coaching my son and his group through it a little bit in April and July. There's lots of good and there's lots of bad with these eval periods, uh, I, but I think there's so much gray area that can be improved. Give me what a perfect eval period would look like for a event operator such as yourself that runs a lot of high level events, but also understands there needs to be a level of events for players that maybe aren't your your true high division one prospects? Well, here's the problem. Before you, we can get into, into the blueprint of that. I think we ha have to kind of consider the, the current conditions on the ground here. And uh, for a long time ago, I had proposed to them, and I'm glad they did it, about the June high school period, which is a good thing. I, I believe it's a good thing. I believe it 10, 15 years ago when I, I was a proponent of it. I'm glad they put it in, but they did it the wrong way. They did it the wrong way because they left it up to the states to decide whether to have it. So it created a hodgepodge, almost like a balkanization of, of some states allowing it, some states not. And it wasn't fair to the kids of the states whose bodies, uh, uh, governing bodies, refused to act. They should have had it just like we do the July and April. They should have allowed every high school coach or certified high school official in any state to apply for certification. So, so you do have a, a universal nationwide uh, approach to it versus having Arizona do it, but not California or Nevada. And you're forcing high school teams to spend money to travel to Arizona and Nevada teams to travel. The private schools may have that money, 
But the public school, especially the inner city public schools, they don't have the money. So you're creating more haves and have nots. And you're forcing the better kids who go to neighborhood schools who may prefer to stay close to home. Maybe their school's two blocks away and they go up there, but you're forcing them to go to, to either superpower schools or private schools with money in order to get the same opportunity. I had this conversation with a CIF official uh, two days ago about it. And there's no reason why California shouldn't take advantage of the live period in, in June. And that's one thing that I would keep but I would make it nationwide. I would put the approval where it belongs in the NCAA office where it belongs. The same way they certify us, they need to certify them. Make it fair, make it consistent. That's the first part about it. Now, the other part about it is there's nothing wrong with making money, whether it's in the entertainment business, if, if, if somebody's running a podcast, I don't know how, I don't know much about the podcast, but if somebody can make a million dollars, I'm good with it. Nobody should have a problem with it. But the problem we have now in these live periods is we're having too many people that are not really bringing any valuable opportunity. All they're doing is they're throwing stuff against the wall, mud against the wall, hoping something sticks so they can take their staff to Denny's after the event. It's, it's not good. And it, it's, it's congested. The, the calendar that, or that's already condensed with too many options that's diluting whatever the non-shoe population is, because now you have a combination of, of live period basketball being, for the most part, in many cases, rec basketball. Those players don't need to be playing in the live period. There's no value for them. And prior 10, 20 years ago, those players played in dead period events. Now you have people that are either convincing these kids and their parents that they have an ability to match up with you in the WCC, or they're not even starting on their high school teams yet, or they're not playing varsity yet. Yet they're going to be seen by Mark Few in the live period. And that deception and that dilution of talent is hurting the, the non-shoe talent, an example. Now, Nike EYBL has done a great job, and they have, they're on top right now. Anybody who's, who wants to be honest, they're on top. They do a good job with their program. They, they, they've marketed their league tremendously. They're attracting most, when I say most, I would say probably the vast majority of the kids. Now, there's also an element Adidas and Under Armour, <laughs> also have some good teams and they do a good job, but their problem is there's elements within those two groups that have also tried to go after this recreational money grab style by creating subgroups within their umbrella, which I call pretenders. They allow these guys to pretend they're Adidas or Under Armour teams when they're not. They're not sponsored by Adidas or Under Armour. In fact, they're paying to be Adidas or Under Armour, but they're misleading their parents and players and to act as if they're sponsored. They're not in the same courts. They're not promoted or marketed the same way to college coaches and other scouts. 
And it's a fallacy. It's a pretending to be something you're not. And that's hurting those guys, Adidas, in my opinion, Under Armour. It's hurting their elite teams. And that's why they've fallen behind. The gap between Nike and Adidas and Under Armour is at an all-time high right now for a number of different reasons, and that's one of them. And But even in light of that, you still have a considerable amount that I would put as low as 10%, maybe 15 to 20 a Division One players that don't play on shoe teams, one or one and a half of every 10. If you do that across the country, that's, that's a lot of good players still. But those players are being shortchanged by some event operators who are violating the rules by comping teams to get them to leave another tournament where there may be more of a concentration of talent or they're giving somebody a hotel room or a flight or other perks. There were reports that Prep Hoops, who's now become a big uh, player in, in the market, they had an event in Indianapolis, same time I was there, and there were allegations they were paying some teams in excess of five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars just to come to an event. So now you're having not only a problem for the kids being seen by making more venues to watch games, you're making it more difficult for the colleges to see those same kids because at the end of the day, those windows are, are not big windows. They're really, when you think about it, a weekend window is one full day, Dan. That's Saturday's full yeah. from 8 to 10. Friday is 6 to 10, four hours. Sunday, most guys are done by morning. They're, they're not even full weekends. If you have you spread all those prospects across four, five, six, eight different cities, it's not helping the kids. It's not helping the coaches, which would help the kids. And you have a... a it's just a pure money grab, in my opinion. Again, I'm not knocking anybody who has a hustle. But if you're going to be in this space, don't do it just for the money. Do it for the kids, too. They don't have to be exclusive. If you have something of value that you can do better than the other guy who's currently doing it, then do it. Just don't do it for the money grab. Go to a dead period where the coaches don't come out and make your money there. Don't pollute the live period. And that's what we have right now. We have too many people polluting the live period and flooding it with events. And all it's doing, it's hurting, especially the low to mid-major players who have a potential D1. At one time, Damon Lillard was a low to mid-major player. At one time, Steph Curry was a low to mid-major player. At one, one time, Jason Preston, who just got drafted by the Clippers, was a no-major player. It, it's hurting those kids. And if something isn't done soon, especially now with the coaches who are now in love with that transfer portal that's here to stay, no. the transfer portal is the beginning of the end for the low D1 and mid-major recruit. It's the beginning of the end. Unless – Something is done, and these players and these teams, club teams, to wake up and say, wait a minute, for us to be relevant in, in two, live, two or three live periods, we're going to have to all go to the same spot. we got to figure out 
who is going to give us the best option for us to be seen? We shouldn't be worried about a free team fee. We shouldn't be worried about a free hotel room. Are we in it for the kids or are we not? If we're not in it for the kids, go do something else and make money. But if you're in it for the kids, then figure out a way to make yourself relevant in the live period. You know, you're speaking with a, a ton of experience um, behind your thoughts. You're speaking with a ton of passion uh, behind your thoughts as well. Last piece. And there you, you touched on the live periods, the dead periods, the amount of events uh, that are out there during those times. How many live period events do you feel or excuse me, how many live periods do you feel there should be on the calendar for July? Because when I look at this upcoming year, there's two in August or two in April, the high school one, which I agree with. If you've got a high school program that has a coach that is outgoing and wants to help his players and then only one in July, I feel there needs to be at least one more in July. What's your thoughts? Well, I mean, the, it's, it's pro and con, but it's got to be done in, a, in the right way because what you're having here is you're having because this normally the shoe companies would go, you know, a couple of things in the spring and they would have their first, they would have their uh, major event, one of them in the summer, and they would be done with it. And then and their guys would go to other things where they would be able to commingle, for lack of a better word, or a better word, be interact with other teams not from their shoe affiliation. And that produced more opportunities for kids to be seen in college coaches to see kids apart from that. But now you have Under Armour, who has been sold to three-step. Uh, they sold their grassroots to three-step. And they're obviously uh, focused on cramming as many events as they can for whatever agreement they have with Under Armour, you know, profit-wise, to have those many events. They're going every weekend. Nike went two out of the three last time. Adidas went two out of the three. And they, it's almost like they go every week. And what happens, what's happened so far? What's happened is you have now segregation, Dan, by shoe. Most of those kids are playing the same teams over and over again. They're seeing the same kids over and over again. There's no chance other than the dead periods for interaction. That's not good for the kids. It's not good for the college coaches. And what I would do is I would limit shoe company events during the live periods. I would give them a limit. And to open, because some of the best events, remember when Vegas was available, was it Vegas? Because you'd have cross interaction with teams. And even though they're guys that would run events, they would have some affiliation they were not mandatory shoe events that they had to go to, although there was some political shenanigans behind the scenes there. And a couple of years ago, we had the famous game at, at the Fab 48, which I created in 2011, where we had the Compton Magic and Evan Mobley and Isaiah Mobley and Johnny Juzang play against Team Takeover with Hunter Dickinson was now at Michigan, among other really good players on that team. Nike, Adidas, the champions of both on one court. We had every coach in the country there. It was something to see. And you'd be surprised how many shoe company people behind the scenes 
tried to KO or nix that. And it's almost like it's a control. Th- I understand the control, but from a marketing standpoint, it doesn't make any sense because if you're a mar, if you're a true marketer, having Evan Mobley or Jalen Green in an Adidas or Nike uniform, if they get photographed at an event and it's seen on ESPN hundreds of thousands of times as part of an article by Jeff Borsello or somebody like that, isn't the same marketing event. Does anybody say, oh, I can't turn, I can't see the photograph because it's, it's not a non-Nike event. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they don't, they don't understand that. You see, if you noticed recently, people ask me all the time, how are you, how are you getting your photographs on all the ESPN, the, 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 the Yahoo Sports, the CBS Sports, the 24th, how are you getting your photographs? I go, I'm not getting my photographs on there. I have guys, they come to my events that I allow to shoot. I don't interfere with what they do. I don't try to tax them for shooting. I give them free reign. Those, some of them work for entities like Getty Images, which provides a photo service for a lot of these major companies, ESPN, NBC, CBS, Rival Sport, Yahoo, et cetera. And they subscribe apparently to a service. So when they do an article on Chet Holmgren, they probably do a search on the Getty Images and the first thing pops up is him in a Pangos uniform because there's probably 100,000 photographs of him compared to one or two somewhere else. And, 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 And that's the problem is the fact that they're not allowing these kids to have an experience. They don't want them to have an experience apart from them, apart from the, uh, their shoe circuit. I'm not, and it doesn't make sense marketing wise because, again, if you're that person's photographed wearing a Compton Magic Adidas uniform or a, a team final Nike uniform and they're playing in a, a non shoe company event. They're still getting the same marketing value if that photograph or that video shows up on on, on 24-7 or shows up on uh, uh, Yahoo Sports or so they're getting the same marketing. So it can't be the marketing unless they're dumb. There's something else sinister going on where it's a control thing where either they feel they need to control these guys year round or there's some type of thing, something more sinister involved where they're, they want these kids to feel that their success or notoriety is dependent or resulting from their interaction with them only. And that's not, I think, a good thing. Yeah. If that makes any sense. No, it does. Very insightful. Well, Dinos, I always enjoy talking to you about grassroots basketball because uh, you are one of the best as far as knowledge and understanding how it works. So thanks for joining. And, uh, anytime, man, anytime. Next, hopefully I will see you at an event next summer and uh, we can break it down in person. Maybe even sooner. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks. Appreciate your time. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.